We'll see if you feel that way at the end. <laughs> Morning, church. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. It is always, my wife says to me very often, do you ever get nervous? No, not if you prepare. I don't think you should be nervous. But this is really an, always an intimidating place for me. Because I'm really, as much as I want to be one of you, I'm not one of you. When the faculty comes on stage, love is there, respect is there, and you're used to learning from them. When a stranger comes on stage, well, we'll see. And so it's intimidating, and then I felt really good because I was praying this morning, and I got a text message from Mark Scott saying, I prayed for you this morning. And within 30 seconds, I got a text message from Matt Proctor, and it said, praying for you this morning. And I was so wanting to get a text message from Chris DeWelt saying, praying for you, because then I would have had the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't doubt that Chris is praying for important things. Don't misread that. So we've been in this series, right? I, I listen to the chapels on my podcast each and every week, walking through my neighborhood. Damien and Randy talked about church why, and I loved how they approached it. Why? Why not? Beth and Mark and John all talked about the metaphors for the church, the body, the bride, the family. Last week, Michael talked about followers. Who? Who makes up the church? It's followers. And to belong to the church is not to be in charge. And then I have to come in today, and I rather, would much rather get an assignment to preach than when they say to you, just bring a sermon, because then I never know what to talk about, or then I have to justify why I chose that. But I got asked to talk about leaders. Last Tuesday, Michael presented the challenge to us to follow Jesus and follow those who Jesus has asked to lead, because God has established men and women to lead. Following Jesus is an easy task, but it's not always easy to follow people like me who have been given an opportunity that maybe you wanted. So today we're gonna to talk about the harder ask, and that is following broken people. Saved but broken. This has always been a conflicted part of my story, to be honest with you. As Michael said last week, I do wanna have my say. I do want things to go the way I want them to go, and I do wanna have influence in any decision that affects me. So then I ought to be a leader, right? <clears throat> no. I found myself wanting to stay away from leadership quite a bit. Let me explain why. Because of how you're viewed by those you try to lead. You see, there are some people who won't let you lead, and yet you still have to. And then those who get to disagree with your choices and often endlessly question and judge the outcomes. I've studied leadership since I was an undergrad at Great Lakes Christian College in the early and mid-1980s. And then I went on and did master's work at Central Michigan University, and part of my whole plan was in interpersonal organizational leadership. Are we? Okay, we're gonna keep doing this, all right. You all didn't leave, I thought there, there was your chance. Okay, so whether it was undergrad in ministry or whether it was my master's work at CMU, I've studied master's work and I studied leadership. I never really chose leadership, but I found myself heading that direction. Then I started taking doctoral classes in strategic leadership at Regent University. I didn't finish that degree because my wife came and told me she was pregnant. And it was either become a doctor or remain a dad, and I couldn't afford both, so I like being a dad. 
As a pastor, I work with people each and every day, helping them define and redefine regularly their path and their plan. I didn't enter congregational leadership. I entered service ministry. And little did I have a clue that God would make part of my service ministry congregational leadership. Now, I'm not saying that to protect myself because Isaac knows me well. I'm not standing on this stage saying I know how to lead. In fact, if you want a seminar on how not to lead, I'll be here all day. Leadership is something that you are asked to do. But I want you to understand, no matter what you think you're gonna be trained here for, you are going to lead. You're gonna lead either formally or informally, but God does not give you the option of not leading. He puts you in positions where you need to lead. So this morning, all I wanna do is I wanna answer, ask and answer three questions. Why is leadership such a controversial concept today? What is leadership in the kingdom? And what is our leadership to model? So let's begin. Why is leadership such a controversial concept? Because we're broken, selfish people, to be honest with you. Leadership is a divisive word in our world today. We know that we have gifted and wise leaders available to us, and we know that when good leadership is enacted, that unity comes from it. We also know that when good leadership is enacted, the sum of our efforts is exponentially greater. It's great value when you see good leadership. And yet we're all aware of what happens when there's poor leadership. And we can see it all over our country today. When someone aspires to lead, am I the only person in the room who gets suspicious? Am I the only one in the room who when someone says, I'm a leader, deep inside your soul, you go, really? Any evidence? Because you know the truth is, I've learned this the hard way, calling myself handsome does not make it so. <laughs> Referring to myself as an athlete is not evidence. You see, Michael said something, and I don't want to keep quoting his sermon, but I was listening to it yesterday. I love the two truths that he said last week don't mix well, and it's a challenge of my message this morning. The church is a dangerous place for people who want to be in charge, and ministry is super attractive for people who want to be in charge. So to stand on stage following that teaching, I've decided to entitle my message this morning, Not So With You, Quoting Jesus. Alternative title could be, The Death of Leadership As We Know It. The third title is, doesn't this kill the new organizational leadership major? Yes, yes, and yes. Why is it so controversial? Because submission is so hard to give ourselves to. Submission is a key part of the life of any disciple, even the leader. You see, Paul tells us to submit to one another, submit to the Lord, to submit to the working of the Spirit in and through you. I looked at the word submit in the English Oxford Dictionary. I didn't like either definition. The first definition is accept or yield to a superior force or person. You know which word bothers me, right? Superior. The second definition is to consent to undergo. Well, I can consent to undergo as long as that person doesn't act superior or think they're superior. You see, I believe that both of those definitions are a part of leadership. I believe that every leader needs to accept and yield to a superior force or person and consent to undergo that. Let me explain in a simpler way. I will always define for the rest of my life that leadership is not about power or the ability to achieve a goal. Leadership is about accepting the responsibility for the care of a group of people. Leadership is responsibility. It's not authority. It's not power. It's not prestige. 
Brantley Doty was one of my professors at Great Lakes Christian College, and he used to say this all the time, never be in doubt that there is authority in the church, but never be in doubt it's not yours. We lead by a different authority. Let me explain it this way. I've been a leader my entire life. See, some of your heads snap up like, whoa, well, that's arrogant. No, let me explain. My mom and dad let me lead. My mom and dad would say, I want the yard cut today, Mark, by the time dad gets home from work. And they allowed me to lead. How did they allow me to lead? They, they allowed me to cut it when I wanted to. They allowed me to cut in whatever direction I wanted to cut it. They allowed me to pick that I did the front yard or the side yard or the backyard first. They allowed, could I, could I do the weed eater before I cut or could I do it afterwards? You see, I was given all the leadership I needed, but don't you think for a moment I was not fulfilling a greater authority that was above me. My baseball coach let me lead. I was bossy, he made me a catcher. He gave me strict instructions, make them throw strikes. He let me call the pitches. And many times I would come back to the dugout after we gave up a bunch of runs and he would ask me one simple question, what were you thinking? Why would you throw a curveball in that setting? I learned so much by being a leader under his authority, but don't be mistaken for a moment. My leadership could only have been found under a superior authority to me. I worked for a camp manager at a Christian camp. It altered my life. It's a little tiny Christian service camp in Niles, Michigan called Michiana Christian Service Camp. And the camp manager was a man named Bob Millette and he allowed me to be his lifeguard. And he allowed me to enforce and have authority over that pool when it was open. We had simple rules, no running on the slippery deck, no diving in the shallow end. And then that famous no horseplay in the locker room. I didn't know what horseplay was. I just knew you couldn't do it. And I was in charge. My whistle deemed when they got out of the water. My whistle deemed when a person left the pool. I had absolute control, but I had no authority. Don't be mistaken for a second. My leadership was always under the authority of the camp manager who had the real authority. I can go on and on. I was an RA. I've been a dad. I've been a pastor. I'm a citizen. And in each one of those areas, I have been given opportunity to lead, but none of them were outside of a greater authority to which I'm accountable. So, I don't know if you'll accept my definition of leadership, but when we talk about who in the church, you can only be a leader in the church when the authority of the church is found in Jesus Christ and his word. And then, holy smoke, can you lead? because we're living in a world that doesn't understand what the word of God says. And it needs somebody who's under the authority of the word to demonstrate the authority of the word and call for the authority of the word to be everything we do. That's why I think leadership is such a controversial subject today. I think it's why your generation, and I respect you for it, it's why your generation snaps their neck anytime anybody says, I'm going to lead you. Because your heart says, really? And yet in the church, it's difficult to say, hey, come be a part of this movement of people and every now and then submit to those who have been placed in leadership above you. And I think Michael alluded to it on last week when he said, now not everyone who's a leader should be, not everyone a leader who's leading well, but in our followership, the authority of God's word is what we're responding to and calling each man and woman to. So what is leadership in the kingdom? Let's look at Mark chapter 10 really quickly this morning. Going to begin in verse 32. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, notice that word, again, he took the 12 aside and told them that what is going to happen to him. 
We're gonna go to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant these pieces belong, or these places rather belong to those who they've been prepared. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you disconnect with me from this moment on, I want you to remember this one statement. The death of rulership is the resurrection of leadership. The death of rulership is the resurrection of leadership. And I'm calling to this generation of students at Ozark Christian College that are training to be a blessing in the kingdom of God going forward, that you put to death the concept of rulership so you can embrace the concept of leadership. See, it was not always clear to the disciples what Jesus was talking about. And it's not always clear to us today. Yet Jesus remained patient. So what do we learn? Kingdom leadership is authorized by the purpose we were called. The authorization of my leadership and your leadership is simply on the calling placed on us. As a camp manager made me a lifeguard. My dad made me the lawn boy. The church made me the preacher. The president of my Bible college made me a resident assistant. All of those were the calling I was given to lead in a specific area for a specific purpose under the authority greater than myself. You all know this and it's fun to preach this at a place where you're trained in scripture instead of having to introduce every nuance. In verse 45, Jesus said, the son of man did not come to be served but to serve. There's no one here surprised by that statement. But if in leadership we think that that, that, that statement could be said for us rather than by us, that's a mistake. Jesus came to fulfill the responsibilities his father asked him to fulfill, and by fulfilling those responsibilities, he led. He led in service. I love when he says, can you drink the cup or be baptized with the cup? And they want something from him, so they're like, sure we can. I imagine Jesus kind of looked at him with a sadness that they never understood. And he's like, yeah, you will. But you don't understand right now what that means. See, because the cup that Jesus was going to drink was the just judgment of God on evil. Jesus was saying, I'm gonna drink of the cup of the wrath of my Father, and I'm gonna do it for you, and I'm gonna take this from you, and I'm gonna drink it for you, and I'm gonna replace your unrighteousness with my righteousness in this beautiful moment. You see, what I want you to understand is that all life-changing leadership is substitutionary sacrifice. All of it is. To lead the way the kingdom leads will cause you to substitute yourself sacrificially for those you're leading. It's not to control them, dominate them, use them. It's to be the substitutionary sacrifice in whatever area you're leading to show the mercy, to show the grace. I want you to know one of the best gifts I've ever been given in my entire life outside of my wife or my two boys. 
I love being a dad. I'm not good at it, but I love being a dad. I love the interaction with my sons. I love how they are so much better at, than I am in so many areas of their life. I had nothing to do with it but to observe it. But I'm gonna tell you what. Parenting takes hours and hours and hours and hours of conversations that will end your life for the love, I promise you. You will have the most mundane, draining conversations with your children. And I know you're thinking, you're a horrible dad. I already told you that. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I love them through those ridiculously mundane conversations. I want you to know that I have not had one brain cell stimulated by some of the conversations with my 15-year-old child, not one. He shows me another YouTube video that promises to make me laugh and I don't even smirk. I'm gonna take hostages, I promise you. <laughs> to be his father, I have watched movies that are so predictable and formulaic. I think there'll be a special, if there is a purgatory, mine will either be eating at a banquet in a church basement or watching Elmo videos. <laughs> the books I read are not interesting. They did not change my heart, my mind. They did not refresh me. I have relished art and crafts that have no skillfulness attached to them at all. <laughs> Parenting is a disruption to my life plan, my life possibilities. It's cost me hours of my life. It has cost me sleep. It has cost me money. Oh, it's cost me money. It's cost me energy, emotions, and pain. Why? Because I love those kids. All Life-giving leadership is substitutionary sacrifice. Because God has asked Heather and I to take these two boys and to guide their gifted little lives slowly and patiently and sacrificially so they might become exactly who God's calling them to become. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. In fact, I can't wait to get grandkids because then I'll be good at it. And it won't cost me my money. All life-changing leadership is a substitutionary sacrifice. This is what God intended. And you theologians in training, following Jesus will cost you maybe your physical life. It will cost you your career ambitions. It will cost you your social place and status. It will cost you your monetary profitability. It can cost you so many things, real leadership means that you will substitute your life for someone else's and sacrifice for them so that they understand who God is. You see, kingdom leadership is empowered with this strange juxtaposition of humility. I want you to notice that three different times in Mark, in Mark 8, 9, and 10, Jesus has told them what's about to happen to them. And in the third time, now third, three is a big number in the Bible, right? When Jesus says something three times, you might wanna pay attention. The third time he's told him he's about to die and what's the first thing that they can come up with is when this happens, can we have power? Can we sit on your right and your left? Because they understood something. It, it just amazes me, I don't have time to go into this but I could get happy my tail's wag and I could go all day on this. They asked Jesus, hey, whatever we ask you to do, say you'll do it. And instead of Jesus going, do you know you're talking to God? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? and they reveal their hearts. See, because they understood that to sit on a throne meant you had a place of glory, and if you had a place of glory, you would have a place of power and authority. But I want you to know and ask this question to you this morning. Where does Jesus show the glory of God the most? I would postulate this morning he did it on the cross. 
And I want you to know if the pictures are correct, and I don't know if they are, but if the pictures are correct, there was somebody on the right and left of Jesus and there was no power and there was no authority and there was very little glory, but the glory of God was there. I wonder when we wanna sit in the position on the right and left hand of Jesus, if we'd sit on those crosses first before we ever expected to sit on the throne. See, there is a cup. There is an immersive experience called baptism that Jesus is offering everyone who follows him. But it's often not glory and praise. It's offered suffering, not praise. Pain, not personal achievement. Sorrow, not success. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I believe that all life-changing leadership is substitutionary sacrifice. And Jesus' submission clarifies how he's gonna do this. And if this is how he's gonna do it, then I think you and I ought to do it the same way. In verses 42 and three, Jesus said, don't you know that the rulers of this world lord and dominate and use their authority for their own methods? But in verse 43, he says to us, not so with you. In other words, not in my kingdom. Because the death of rulership is the resurrection of leadership. This is what he showed us. Now in Jeremiah 29, don't roll your eyes yet, okay. In Jeremiah 29, the Israelite nation had been destroyed in punishment by the Babylonian Empire. And they were carried away to Babylon. They lost everything that made them a thing. And in Jeremiah 29, God tells them to do something very specific to the prophet. He said, I want you to go to this great city instead of pouting because you lost your authority, you lost your power, you lost your possessions, you lost everything that made you feel important. He said, I want you to go in and be a blessing. I want you to bless the city that took you captive. I want you to bless the city that killed your friends and family, that took all of your possessions and sold it like garbage. I want you to go into that city, I want you to love, I want you to marry, I want you to grow your family, I want you to live your lives even in this context and live it for me and watch what I'll do because here's the truth, you cannot have Jeremiah 29, 11 until you've had Jeremiah 29, four through seven. Until you're willing to substitutionarily sacrifice for the people you're guiding and blessing and living with, then you can't have the promise that I have plans for you to prosper and grow you. Now, I'm not challenging anybody who's got that tattooed or a sticker on their car, but there is a practice of leadership that is found in that chapter that is so rich, it actually brings Jeremiah 29, 11 back into play. All life-changing leadership is substitutionary sacrifice. So what is our leadership to model? We know why it's controversial, because we have a submission problem and we have an authority problem. What is the model of leadership? Jesus said it's to drink the cup of sacrifice for others. It's to be immersed in the experience of trusting God. What is our leadership to model? Well, Don McCullough writes in a book, Waking from the American Dream, a powerful story. I'm not much of an emotive preacher. I have friends who are fantastic. They can shape their voice, they use their body, they can scream and yell and I don't hate them. I'm just not, I'm more of a teacher, I guess. So I really wanna do a good Matt Proctor version of this. Or I wanna just be able to come out and just, I'll fail. But I wanna tell you a story that's powerful. Don McCulloch says in this book, during World War II, England needed to increase its coal production. 
They were fighting a battle and they did not have the monetary or the manpower to fight it. They were begging America to join them. All the allies were coming together. They were struggling and Churchill knew he had a problem. So he gathered all the labor leaders in England together to, to enlist their support. And the story goes that at the end of it, that he brought them all together and at the end of his presentation, what he needed from them, he asked them all to imagine in their minds a parade that would go through Piccadilly Circus at the end of the war. And he said these words. First would come the sailors who had kept the vital sea lanes open. Then would come the soldiers who had come home from Dunkirk and had defeated Rommel in Africa. And then would come the pilots who had driven the Luftwaffe out of the skies and protected the people of England. Last of all would come a long line of sweat-stained, soot-streaked men in minor caps. And the crowd would know the sailors and know the soldiers and know the pilots and would, they would appreciate all that they did and all that they risked. But the same crowd would look at these miners and they say, and where were you when we were fighting for our lives? And the miners would look at them and say, we were deep in the earth with our face to the coal. Who will lead the church? It's not the mighty. It's not the brilliant. It's not the powerful. It's not the successful. It's not the famous. It's not the influencers. It's not the charismatics. It will be those who are willing to drink the immersive cup of submission by sacrifice so that others would know the glory of who Jesus is that the gospel still works and the gospel doesn't need our promotion, it needs our submission. And when we sell out to that, then you and I can live my paraphrase of 1 Peter 5. Be shepherds of God's flock, not because you have to, because you want to. As God wants you to want to. Not because you gain anything from it, but because you wanna serve him. Don't lord over those who he allows you to lead. Instead, be an example of the great shepherd who substituted his sacrifice for our punishment. Who makes up the church? Those that are following Jesus and those that are leading people to follow Jesus.